All right, people, we are back with another podcast episode, a little bit more of a low-key one this week. There wasn't a whole lot to talk about, but we had the return of the fourth and final season of a show that has been one of our favorites, one of the more interesting shows to watch the last couple of years, and probably one of the more interesting shows as well just to come out in general as far as I kind of breaking down the barriers as far as what defines a show. I'm back with my good friend Josh Marklin, who helped me break down that crazy euphoria finale. Josh, how you been? I'm great, Dom. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm happy to have you back on the show, man. We're excited to talk about some Atlanta. Yeah, absolutely. I love the show. Yeah, my it's a good show. It's really good. All right. We're going to break this down, all that and more, on today's episode of the Talking TV Podcast. All right, Josh, you're back on the show after a couple months ago when we talked about the Euphoria finale. Oh, man, I, I don't know. Real, real quick before we get into this, like, are you still, like, having any lingering thoughts about that Euphoria finale or not? You're mostly just like, I, I don't really care. Just bring on whatever season three is going to do. I haven't thought about it since the moment it ended, if I'm being clear. <laughs> that show has, like, no lasting impact on me. It's pretty super cool. Funny how that works, right? It's like people are so into certain shows at the moment that they're like, ah, I completely forgotten about it. I guess that just shows how superficial that show is. Yeah. Yeah, completely. But yeah, we're here to talk about Atlanta, though, which is a show that I feel like is in a strange way kind of changed a lot as far as it's how its reputation goes and how it's been perceived over the last couple of years, where Atlanta is a show that kind of when it started, I feel like nobody really knew what to expect, which usually can sometimes be the marker of like a really, really great and interesting show. You know, it's a kind of a thing of where it's like, you know, people talk all the time about how they want stuff different, but then usually when different stuff comes out, they're like, oh man, I don't like that because it didn't remind me of this other thing that I like, you know? And the one thing that can be said about Atlanta, despite everyone's kind of uh, thoughts on it and how that's maybe changed over the years, is that Atlanta, I think we can safely both say, is truly unlike anything else that is on TV, that has been on TV before in the past, that has been on TV in the future. You know, there's been some interesting, really thought-provoking stuff that this show has done. There's been some stuff that I've been like, I don't necessarily know if that's as smart as people think that it is. But, uh, yeah, so obviously, like I said, the show all revolves around somebody who I feel like a couple of years ago was like, seemed to be like the next person to like rule over Hollywood. And now I feel like that's kind of changed a little bit. That, of course, being Donald Glover, a.k.a. Childish Gambino, a.k.a. whatever other crazy nicknames that he's had. Obviously, you know, we both have kind of grown up with him, you know, started out as a writer on 30 Rock, then transitioned to a starring role in Community where he kind of established his modus uh, operandi there. I don't know, like, what, what was your first like real kind of experience with like realizing who Donald Glover was as a personality? Well, Donald Glover had – I first learned about him from a stand-up show i think it was called weirdo that was like yep. the funniest show i've ever seen when i first saw it and then i found out you made music i found out he was childish campino and i you know because of the internet all that stuff and then i found out about community and then i like i kind of worked backwards honestly right. i got big into community but it was mostly the stand-up stuff i realized like oh this guy is fucking funny like he's gonna be like the next big thing you know and then yeah. like you got deeper into it and you're like this guy's like the most creative person out right now he's right. right in he's making music he's funny like what can he do right now you know yeah like and that kind of 
Yeah, that kind of led to the whole thing of it. You know, he was even doing the bits on SNL where it's like, oh, I'm such a genius. I can do anything and all that. And like, I feel like there was kind of like this interesting thing because I feel like the biggest thing was in high school, right? It's almost like kind of the Childish Gambino fans were like an underground cult. But I feel like it took a while for people to realize it. Like, oh, Childish Gambino and Donald Glover are one of the same because on the one hand, right, you had the Childish Gambino fans. And then on the other hand, you had like the Donald Glover community fans. They were all the guys that were like fan casting him back when like we were in high school because you and I are like around the same age. Um, So we were in high school around the same time and all that was going down. You know, this was like, I think like right when the Sony hack happened and you know the it was pre the whole discussion to merge Spider-Man into the Marvel Cinematic Universe so that everyone was like oh they should reboot Spider-Man with uh Miles Morales and it should be Donald Glover yeah. playing him and that's kind of like when all that decision making started right and so naturally I feel like the bit, obviously you know I feel like kind of where this all transitions is obviously you know I feel like it kind of there's this merging point around like 2014 2015 when he makes the decision to leave community after only five episodes into the fifth season in order to pursue more of his music career and then about a year after community ends in 2015 after NBC acted Yahoo picked it up for the final season and then acted again um what's it called you have the announcement that FX is going to be doing this show Atlanta Glover is going to be starring in it along with executive producing it uh directing and writing several episodes and uh What's it called? And while the outlook of the show itself seems pretty standard and, you know, kind of palatable for a mass audience where it's like, okay, you know, he's a Princeton dropout. He's trying to manage his cousin's up and coming rap career in Atlanta. And along the way, they're just going to get into some crazy misadventures. You know, typical TV setup. You know, it's got a pretty fresh and interesting cast. You know, Brian Tyree Henry and Lakeith Stanfield and Zazie Beetz, who were all the time unknowns. I, I, Lakeith Stanfield had popped up on a couple things, like he'd already done Short Term 12 and had been in straight out of Compton as Snoop Dogg the previous year. But for the most part, previously all unknowns. And little did we know that that was really just going to be just kind of like the entryway into what this show really was, which I feel like I, I believe the term that he used in order to describe the show is Afro-surrealism, where he's essentially creating almost like this surrealist world, almost like as a way in order to like kind of translate across um, what's it called, like different race relations and how they go, but like in a really weird and interesting and funny way. It's like almost like the first thing where it's like essentially trying to craft and exercise in African-American relations within like kind of the history of this country, but in like a funny way, if that makes any sense. I don't, I don't know. How do you think I did with describing that? I'd say more of like an accessible way. Like he's like, he, I feel like he set like a mission to make it seem like, make it, make it felt that what African-Americans go through in this country is not too dissimilar from what other people go through, but like, it'll never be truly understood in the mainstream. So like, even with like the one-off episodes, like with the one where in the beginning there was the boat, you know what I'm talking right. about? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's 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 completely wonky. You don't really know what's going on, but he always knows how it ties back together. At the end, you're like, wow, that was yeah. like life changing. Like, I did, I didn't even like as a black man, I didn't even know I felt that way until like I saw that. I've never felt any way more represented, you know. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting kind of how he was able to always tie them about. It's almost like one of the first things where it's like you almost don't even realize he's talking about race until yeah. at the end. And he manages to tie it. At least previously, I thought he managed to always tie that down in like a really, really rich and interesting way. And like I thought previously it was always funny. Like I always cited this that the, the BAN episode from season one is one of the single greatest episodes of television I've ever seen. Just kind of like the way they were using that in order to like comment on like kind of the inherent ridiculous factor that goes into just how harshly the media clamps down on and criticizes uh you know rap and then how they somehow managed to transfer that onto like um what's it called? On, on on trans uh on transphobic relations that ends up kind of being trans like translating into trans race and making it funny it's one of the most ingenious things that i've ever seen um as far as kind of the how the how the show was initially conceived 
Um, some interesting things about this. This is apparently the first show with an all-black writing staff, which is apparently virtually unheard of in um, in the history of American television. And during an interview with the New Yorker, when he was talking about it initially, Glover stated that the reason why the reason for why the characters smoke uh, weed is because they all have PTSD, since every black person does in America. And I wanted to kind of start there as far as what kind of makes this show so different than anything on TV, because I feel like. Looking in, obviously, right, the show's got a half-hour structure, right? So naturally, one would assume that it would prefer, like, the typical sitcom route. But I feel like almost immediately, the show did something really different as far as I would argue that this is really the first show that kind of took the idea of the half-hour format and turned that into, like, okay, this doesn't necessarily have to be a drama or a comedy, per se, you know? And I feel like this was one of the first shows that really took that and was like, okay, no, we could just tell, like, whatever kind of story we want. You know, like, we kind of have this metric. We have this theme that we're going for, for like, throughout every episode. And so that kind of gives them the opportunity to not really have this show feel like another one of those shows where you're kind of just, you know, hanging out with, you know, your favorite characters on a week-by-week basis as they go on, like, kind of their different crazy and wacky misadventures. You know, it kind of contributes more into, like, kind of what I like to call the medium of TV in the sense of where you're watching each individual story in order to kind of build it into this one kind of greater and greater piece of art, you know? I don't know, like, kind of, what, what what's just your overall general take on kind of, like, what Atlanta is that kind of makes it so different than anything else on TV? Well, I think it really goes to show that FX really just gave Donald Glover the freedom to tell his own story, you know, and his relationship with the director is it's Hiro Mirai. Hiro Mirai, yeah, who's also gone on to direct a lot of other just awesome yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, just like the, the relationship they have is clearly special because like you, as soon as the, the show came on, you could tell it was different from everything else. It was cinematic, you know, it was a little deeper than like other shows a little bit. And, you know, it, it just it just shows that he had a story that he wanted to tell and he knew how he wanted to tell it. And he's done a great job so far telling it, you know. And I did some research, too. He's not even from Atlanta, you know. Not anyone in the cast is even from Atlanta. So, like, just the way that he's been able to, to, to represent what being from Atlanta is like without even being from there is amazing, you know. Right. And that's obviously, again, such a big part of the show is the fact that it's like, again, it, you know, they talk all the time. It's like, you know, Sopranos could not have worked if it wasn't in Jersey. You know, Breaking Bad could not have worked if it, was, if it wasn't set in Albuquerque. And I feel like this is another one of those shows where it's like, again, location is so important to this show. Where, again, even though it's kind of making these grander statements on kind of the status of African-Americans in the whole country. You know, again, we see like a lot of different instances of, of, of what's it called, you know, different periods that have involved them. Obviously, you know, commenting on the, on the, uh, what's it called, on the Black Lives Matter movement of the last couple of years. You know, obviously on the George Floyd things the this season, this most recent season that just premiered started up literally with there. There's just a riot going on everywhere yeah. and just people are looting stuff like very obviously, you know, trying to uh, allude back to the COVID riots and everything. It's like the show always has like a really, really awesome presence of setting and just knows exactly what kind of tone it is going for, which I think is really hard because this show is balancing out like a lot of different tones at all times. Like one minute it's funny, one minute it's tragic, one minute it's surreal, you don't really know how to feel. A, a, yeah. In a lot of moments, I feel like half the time we're just watching Donald Glover's character earn just wander around and just like not really know what to expect because he's like, I want to feel like this is a like like this is an underplayed racist thing against me, but I can't really tell because it's just so bizarre. Like the thing that I always go back to as far as like when I can tell that this show was going to be like different is I think I want to say it's like the fourth episode of the first season 
And I went, where they're like, oh man, you know, Al's going to play in a basketball tournament against Justin Bieber. But it's just like a random black kid, like not Justin Bieber. But it's like, no, that's Justin Bieber in this case, you know? And they're just like, everyone's going along with it. Like it's completely normal. But like we as the audience know that that's obviously not Justin Bieber. And then like the shit with the invisible car and like that, like the, uh, just all of the different like crazy shit that goes into it, you know? Like, I don't know. I feel like there's been some criticism as far as like, you know, he's kind of a little bit too full of himself when it comes to kind of like the surrealist elements. But I don't know. I feel like those elements have always been the ones that work the most for me. And those have always been the elements that, again, just help this show stand out above the rest, you know? Like, I don't know if you've seen any David Lynch movies, but obviously he's the kind of the go-to when it comes to, like, surrealist filmmaking, filmmaking that feels like it's in a dream, feel like filmmaking that feels like you know that you're watching characters who are kind of aware that they're not in a conscious state of mind, for lack of a better word. But I don't know, like, how, how, how do you, how, like, what, what's just your thoughts in general on the surrealism and trippy, more trippy natures of the show? Well, I think it stands out because he interplays the surrealism with like modern topics. Like he's like you said the Justin the Justin Bieber thing. Like he knows how to interplay this like a surrealist moment with like something that's going on right now. Like even with uh, when Darius is stealing the air fryer, or he was he was We're trying to return the air fryer. Yeah, he's trying to return the air fryer, and the lady was chasing him around, and he was like, this, I, "I don't know what you're hearing from Fox News. I'm not in Tifa, you know, like." She's chasing around. It felt insidious. You know, he, he was all the way down the alley. And, like, she was slowly coming down the alley. Like, they it's shot like, that. Like, well, it was a horror movie where you just see it from the wide and you just hear the fucking chair coming around the yeah. corner. Like, they always do that so, so well. And, like, it's – I understand, like, obviously how that's meant to, like, be scary. It's, you know, the idea that's like, oh, man, you know, black men, they're always looking over their shoulder. You know, they never know where it's going to come from. But I just thought the way they framed that just, like, kind of made it – funny for lack of that, like that that that's the stuff that like is always consistently getting me back into this show you know now so here's here's my next question kind of my next point is that so glover i feel like he's handling some very very obviously you know serious weighty issues but he's doing it in almost like kind of a almost kind of like a loose way. It's like, yeah, this is just stuff that we like kind of have to go through, you know, as uh, you know, obviously the black people have to go through in this country, almost like it's almost kind of like it's evolved to a point where it's like, yeah, kind of, this is never going to change. And it's always just kind of like a thing that we just have to deal with, you know, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like constantly the thing that uh, critics are constantly trying to figure out with the show is like whether or not the show's intention is to kind of try and create some sort of, message or anything or kind of just present the scenarios as they are and kind of allow people to draw their own conclusions from it you know i don't know what's kind of your take on that i don't think he has a specific message in the show i don't think he ever really goes into it with like i'm trying to i'm trying to make people feel a certain way i think he's trying to show what it's like to be black in america you know i think that he I don't know. I don't know how to put it. You know, like it's even tough. It's even tough for me to, to explain it. Like he just knows how to represent to, to make me feel represented in a show. Right. You know, like I watch the show and I feel like this is this is what I go through every day. Like right. someone's always someone's always watching me. I'm always being watched. Right. I feel like when he was telling the story to the therapist about Princeton and how uh, he he said he felt like a, a gorilla at Princeton. Right. And he, like sexually, he he felt like they were using language that was can can. Faces of a rapist, you know, like right. No, I feel like 
it, it, he, he does an amazing job at it. Right. And like kind of the whole thing of where it's, you know, the, again, all the, you think about all the different interactions that earn as a character and like all the other characters, you know, like it kind of really started off exclusively with earn. And then it grew out. Like once they gave more solo episodes to some of the supporting characters, you know, like Al and Darius and all that, and kind of like all the different scenarios that they go through where each different scenario that they're kind of placed with, you know, I feel like a lot of examples are some big, a couple big ones from season two, obviously entitled Robin season, you know, the, uh, the barber shot and then woods episodes for Al. And then obviously one of the most infamous episodes, of the entire show, the um the the, te- the Teddy Perkins episode for Darius, which is like just again one of the well, it's like insane. Like, oh my god, how are they doing this on a show, and how is it able to incorporate like all of these different things and make all of these different statements? Where it's like they're making a statements on like Michael Jackson, all the disturbing things that like he went through, kind of the idea of what celebrity does to them, and while also kind of very clearly being an homage to Get Out because Get Out happened like a year earlier and it's like, oh, okay, I see you, Donald Glover. I know what you're trying to do here. We understand that like you're also paying attention to other like, you know, very prominent black artists that are co- that are, you know, coming on, on their way up. But I think that kind of the most interesting thing and kind of how that ties into the fourth season. So kind of in order, if you feel like follow the tracker, you know, season one is kind of, you know, more so again, if we're talking about like kind of more of the traditional elements of the show, tradition of the traditional story points of the show, not, not talking about the surrealist element. Season one is kind of, you know, the, they're starting to break through, you know, earn officially starts working for Al. And the, by the end of the season, you know, they're at a point where it's like, okay, they're really going to start making some money. Season two, they're still kind of on the up and up, you know, they're kind of a little bit of a trial and error to see if this thing is actually going to work. And then by the end, there's torn in Europe. And so then we obviously had a four-year gap in between seasons two and three, obviously, again, because of just Glover's busy schedule and then the COVID delays and everything. But so what's so interesting about 2022, like I said, I've been talking about this since the beginning of the year where all of the shows that were kind of held over from COVID, we kind of got back this year. Um, and what was so interesting about that is we ended up getting not only one, but two seasons of Atlanta. Again, we got Succession back in the fall, Ozark, uh, Better Call Saul, Barry, um, The Boys, a bunch of different shows that we didn't end up getting in the last couple of years because of COVID. And so Atlanta is kind of the end of that tenure because Atlanta shot its third and fourth seasons both simultaneously and then debuted them both this year. And we talked earlier kind of about the third season and kind of how we it ended up kind of almost being a little bit problematic because between obviously the COVID delays they were shooting in Europe, the actual Atlanta storyline with like our characters ended up only kind of being half of that season. And the other, the rest of the season, well, I thought so gave some really interesting and thought provoking episodes ended up just being essentially a series of like Donald Glover's black mirror where every kind of other episode is like this almost short story parable that kind of is a greater extension of the themes that he's going for. And then ends on one of the weirdest finales ever, you know, every season he's always got to give, you know, Zazie beats character van her own solo episode. And those episodes for me have always been the weakest episodes, like for each season. And I think that this past season finale kind of took the cake as far as just being a really strange, what the fuck, bizarro, just surrealist to the point where it doesn't even make sense from a story standpoint. Like all the stuff that Van goes through, all the stuff that Van does in that finale. And then at the end, we're kind of just expected to just go along with it and be like, oh, yeah, she was just having a hard time, you know? And it's like she's baking hands, she's killing people with bread, she's a drug runner, she's got a French Amelie accent. She's hooking up with Alexander Scars. Like, I'm still trying to process that finale. That's still one of the just dumbest episodes I've ever seen that just makes no sense. But what I what I thought was interesting about kind of the premiere of season four, the final season, is we're finding our characters now 
almost in the state of where they're kind of almost past the success phase. They're past like, okay, you know, we did it. We made it, all that. And now we're kind of in almost like this wind-down phase where we're almost kind of having to like grapple with the choices that we've made, you know, understand kind of what it is that brought us to this point. And I think so far, at least for my money, I think that like they've nailed it. They've, you know, job well done, you know, between these first two episodes, you know, with – um. Obviously, you know, Al kind of going through the scavenger hunt, Darius being chased by the woman with the air, you know, because of the air fryer and all that. And then kind of the weirdo, bizarro moment with Ern and Van where they're in the, where they're, what, what is that? They're going to like some mall, but they end up yeah. running into a bunch of their exes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really know. I'm assuming that was supposed to be a thing of where it's like, oh, you know, they've gone off and grown and changed, but everybody that's has kind of been like stuck here in this weird time loop, you know? I, I mean, I have to assume that's what they were going for there. I saw a tagline for the season that was like, did they change or did Atlanta change? And I had a question for you. You said that season two was named Robin season. Yeah, like, that, that was the that. subtitle for it. Yeah. yeah. Did, that, did season one and three, did they have tagline? No. Know? Season two okay. was the only one. Okay. Yeah. Because season four, if this is the tagline, like did they change or did Atlanta change? They've done a perfect, perfect intro to how, how that's going to play into the season, you know? Because if season three, when they're in Europe, shows how they, they're developing, they're coming full circle – into their own characters, then season four is going to be like, okay, now they're back in Atlanta, and how 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 their character development, how is that going to, how are they, how is that going to work in Atlanta? You know, a completely different setting. It's very confined. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. Because again, and and I feel like a lot of the things in in the promos and the trailers kind of leading up to this season is a lot of you know, Earn wants to move. Earn obviously he talked about in this last episode that he's planning on moving out of Atlanta. He's planning on taking a job offer in L.A. and he's almost like kind of like you know not wanting to let the city trap them. You know, obviously because they grew up there. You know, they're kind of they've got there's this obviously there's there's this connection that you form, and I think this goes without saying regardless of race, but there's this connection that you always form with the place that you grew up. You know, you can move as many places as you want, but you're always gonna have like kind of those roots there. You know, and I almost feel like Earn is trying to outrace those because he feels like he doesn't want to get trapped there. You know, he's finally come to a place where he's comfortable. You know, he feels like he's not a failure anymore, but he feels like he's, but he feels like part of that is still kind of, you know, constrained in the city where he lives, in the city where he grew up, you know, and it's very, and the thing that I think was also really interesting about these first two episodes is it becomes abundantly clear that Earn is carrying around like a lot of still resentment and self-doubt that may have been kind of, you know, di dictating a lot of his previous actions and may have caused him to, you know, see certain things differently. I think probably what was even more interesting about the second episode, the therapy episode, or the whole these little horses how earn essentially now uses all of his money to essentially create fa and completely fabricate the scenario to essentially ruin and humiliate this one random woman's life um simply because she gave him a hard time at the airport and he believed that it was for racist reasons you know and now pre now what was interesting about that is in previous instances in the show we would have immediately been like okay we're only seeing this from Ernst's perspective so naturally we're seeing this is just being like weird and off-putting you know as one would assume but what's interesting is this is the first instance where we're told about it we're not directly shown it and so as a result once we actually kind of see the after effects of it we can kind of draw our own conclusions as far as okay is Earn justified in this or is Earn just like kind of carrying out some petty revenge just because he's in a position where he can't you know and it's almost like it's like for the first time like it's Donald Glover like actually casting um you know Earn in something other than like kind of the plucky you know underdog protagonist than what we've seen before it was really interesting I thought and really quite different I feel like than than a lot of other things we've gotten from a show that is all about doing things differently and not based off the book you know yeah, but even even towards the end of the episode where Darius says, like, I don't know if this is extreme pettiness or, like, terrorism, and Ern's like... Great line, yeah, by the way. Like, both. Like, it was some sick shit what he did. Like, yeah, yeah she might have, like, hurt him, and maybe it was ra racially motivated. I think to an extent it was, because at the beginning of the episode, you see her 
like kind of like fawning after her black neighbor, which is kind of weird. So yeah. it shows that she, she has a weird re- relationship with African-Americans. So right. clearly that's supposed to carry on throughout the episode. Oh, yeah. Like, at the end, like he's just sitting at the bar reflecting like, man, was what I did right? Like it's, it's yeah. nice to see that even though he did some shit, sick shit that he's reflecting on it and the right. therapy is helping, I guess, a little bit, you know? Again, I'd argue it's the first time that we've ever seen Earn actually do that, you know, where, again, so much of Earn's arc throughout the show has almost been just, again, just kind of reacting off of this very strange, surrealist world that they're in. But now he's, like, actually starting to reflect off of his decisions and, like, again, show some growth and show, like, yeah, is... Is this like really right? Am I? Is this you know? Maybe the world isn't out to get me. Maybe it's just me doing this stuff. But I like that point that you brought up as well about kind of the idea of like you know us setting us up with the white woman that he eventually humiliates and again having this strange relationship with her black neighbor. You know, obviously that goes into the whole idea of it's like you know perhaps some racism specifically from white women comes from the idea of again them fetishizing black men and the idea that it's like okay you know they're placing them on this pedestal as well. You know, again it goes into the whole thing of it's like you know everybody that bullies gay people when they're young are secretly gay themselves you know it's it's it's, it's like that goes into that whole like psychological warfare it's like you're always projecting out against the things that you actually like might like yourself you know it, it's like it, it goes against the whole thing about bullying it's like it's like bullies are only ever just projecting their own self-hatred onto others which is why they're bullies and i feel that kind of goes into that as well and I feel like, again, that kind of goes across the board for all the characters. I feel that's something that I feel like that kind of is the theme that we're going to be following for the rest of the season. So, like, for example, if last season was all about kind of how the characters were just dealing with, you know, different kinds of. The, the whole thing about last season was these characters were in kind of an alien environment. You know, they're in Europe. They're in, they're in a completely new setting. They don't really know kind of what to expect. And along the way, they're going to kind of almost, you know, have these different encounters with these different groups of people that kind of change their perspective on things, you know, where it's like, again, like the fact that every other episode is this kind of, you know, self-contained anthological thing. Um, This season, again, I think is definitely setting up for, again, the characters just kind of realizing and coming full circle and understanding like kind of the impact that they've had. You know, I, I particularly can't wait to see what Alan Darius did. I, I think that also, obviously, the Al moment from the first episode as well, where he's kind of, you know, the the one rapper that he followed that had a big impact on it. What was his name? Uh, Blue Blood, something like that. Yeah. Can't, I can't get away from this without talking about that. That was like an all like a tribute to MF Doom, and they okay. had Earl, they had Earl Sweatshirt as like a fill in, making like it was Blue Blood, I think. Right. He was doing all the verses. That was fucking amazing. That was yeah. like one of the best things I've ever seen. Like as soon as they, as soon as uh, Darius got to the car, he's like, "Damn, Blue Blood died," and he started talking about Blue Blood. I was like, "This kind of sounds like MF Doom, like yeah, like a mysterious underground rapper who's like not really known, and then he just mysteriously died, and they said like he he died three months ago, like his." His agent just released it. Like it was amazing how they did that, and like really beautiful they did that for MF Doom. Yeah, I was I was really interesting. And again, like I wish we could say that that was the first one, but there was another one that just died all the other day. I, whose name I'm totally forgetting. The one who like he got shot like when walking into yeah, a store. Yeah, 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 him. Um, but, you know, that was another one that just died. And obviously they had the reference to Tupac last season in the, you know, in the one episode where they were in Amsterdam. And so, like, yeah. again, they're very, very, very still clearly alluding to and referencing real life events as well and all that. And again, kind of showing how that, like, kind of reflects on our characters and shows where it's like, yeah, this is where they've come from. This is kind of, you know, and in particular, I think that the character of Al, who I think has slowly grown and almost surpassed Ern as like being the most interesting character on the show. You know, Darius has always kind of been like the fun supporting character. But Al, I think is, again, Al, who is somebody who kind of, I don't even know really, uh, like, 
I don't feel like I can't come up with the words in order to describe kind of Al's role and kind of the character type that he had in season one. But season two, I feel like we really got to know Al a lot more as a person, you know, understand where he was coming from. And I think season three, Loki had one of Al's best moments where he's kind of like, his whole thing is like, yeah, he's arguably got more skin in the game than Earn does because even though Earn is doing this in order to, again, just, you know, kind of make a situation better for himself and his daughter, and, you know, his daughter, Lottie, and obviously for Van, Al's also kind of got way more of a stake in the game because this is just, this is the thing that he cares about. You know, this is his source of passion. Like, I, I, the moment, yeah, the moment in last season where he's talking to the one kid where they're not sure if they he took his phone or not, and the, and the kid's just fucking with them the entire time. And um, what's it called? And Al basically kind of breaks down, like, you know, the idea of what kind of motivates him to create rap, obviously, and how... I just think that, again, Brian Tyree Henry is just one of the most underrated actors and talents that we have. And I think that the fact that the show gave him like such a such an avenue and a route is just hilarious. How he's consistently able to, you know, balance out between like being super tough and being super vulnerable. Like I still think that one of the funniest moments in the second episode is when Ern's on his way to therapy and Al calls him and he's like trying to get his uh, password to his AOL account or something like that. And he's like, uh, what's your favorite movie? Scarface? Yeah, let me try Scarface. And he's like, wait, no, you had that email when we were in like middle school. Try Mulan. He's like, Mulan. He like laughs. He's like, oh shit, I think that worked. I thought that, just, I thought that was just hilarious, you know? Yeah. It's also nice that like, it's perfect that they made him a rapper because it also plays into the fact that they're in Atlanta. And like, I feel like a big part of being a rapper is like, you're going to blow up in one city and you're going to have a fan base. And then it's up to you to decide, am I going to leave the place where I blew up and where all my fans are? And am I going to get out of the place that could be, it could, you could die there, you know, like as a rapper, you could yeah. die where you're from, or am I going to go and leave my family where I'm from and try to make it big? And so far he stayed in Atlanta and he's had some crazy ass experiences, you know, like things are not safe for him necessarily. But even when he was on the, he was talking to Darius about where he's going to go. He doesn't like LA. He doesn't like New York. He's going to go to Jamaica. Like Jamaica's different. It's maybe safer, but you can't be a rapper in Jamaica. No rappers living in Jamaica, you know? Right. At least not ones that aren't already pre-established that just like have like a vacation home there, you know? Yeah. But no, yeah, that's an interesting point because again, the whole the big thing of Al's journey is how Al is just, again, kind of grappling with this, um, you know, uh, what's it called? With this kind of existential depression that comes with him blowing up as a rapper that you often find a lot of artists go through, you know? And especially, that's another thing as well that goes into, again, just, you know, being a, a black man in America is the idea of, again, just dealing with, you know, kind of the stigmas that go along with mental health in general, how, again, just men in general are encouraged, you know, just bury their feelings, you know, be a man, all that good stuff and that's something that al is constantly grappling with this idea of you know ultimately i feel like al's in a point where he's trying to figure out like what his legacy is gonna be and then he realizes yeah. he doesn't even know what he wants he, he's been again that another thing that so many artists have to deal with is he's been so focused on just you know getting his art out there and getting it noticed that now he doesn't even that, that now he's to the point where he has to like ask like kind of what he wants from it and he yeah. is just not taking the time to really discern that and really figure that out and just as well, again, you see that reflected from the other characters as well, where, again, I think as botched as it was, and I think as stupid as it was, I still kind of understood what he was trying to go for with the season three finale with Van, where Van's whole thing is, again, you know, she had a kid at a relatively young age, she's worked these variety of different jobs, and now she's trying to find herself because she realizes, again, she has essentially had, like, no identity other than kind of just like, you know, being with Ern and Lottie, you know, like, yeah, she's got her friends and all that, but like what ultimately at the end of the day is her identity, you know? And in a strange way, I feel like that's what always makes it so satisfying to just watch Darius because Darius at the end of the day is a dude that no matter how weird, how trippy stuff gets, you can just tell he's a dude that's got it figured out. 
And I feel like yeah. that's the reason why everyone is like kind of come to the point where they kind of like having him around because you're Darius is that one friend where you're like, what exactly do you, you're like, I don't know exactly what that guy does. He may just kind of be leeching off me, but he's such a great dude to be around. He always seems to know his shit. He always seems to know what he's go what what's going on. And he always seems to just like again, just have some insight that all the other characters don't have that just makes it perfect, you know, like kind of the whole um and obviously, again, you know, the, the, the gun enthusiast and the, and the cutting out of the dog in season one, the going to see Cat Williams in season two with the, with the alligator. Um, what's it called? And he just immediately sends his, like, bad vibes, you know, hanging with Van in season three and in season two with the, uh, with the Drake episode, the Champagne Poppy episode. And then at the beginning of this episode, where, again, he's just trying to return an air fryer in the <laughs> middle of a loot. And the cashier's like, no, do you not see what's going on here? Like, come on, man, yeah. wake up. He's like. I, I don't know. Like, I just, I love Darius, man. And like, Keith is just such a talent. I'm, I'm constantly going back and forth on who my favorite character is on this show, but I feel like for right now, it's still Darius. Cause man. Darius feels like the only one that's like, doesn't really have like a motive. Like he doesn't have like pressure, you know, like Al has the pressure of like, I'm a rapper. What's going to be my legacy. You know, like I have to build something with what I'm going to do. Like when he was talking with the fashion people, you could tell like he was uncomfortable. Like he, he doesn't want this. He doesn't want to sell out and have that be a part of his legacy. Like, uh, Earn, he went to Princeton. He's supposed to be the smart one that made it out. He has the pressure to be successful because he's smart and, you know, he's well-liked. Van, she's, a, as a black woman, they face the most pressure as to, like, what their identity is going to be. She doesn't want to just be seen as a mother. She wants to, That's why she was doing crazy shit in Europe. She wants to have some kind of identity outside of being a mother. And there's just pressure to be something bigger. And with Darius, you don't feel that at all. He, he has no motive. He's just trying to live. He's trying to do some psychedelics in Amsterdam. He just, that's why he, he's, like, the perfect relief for the show, you know? Exactly. No, I, I couldn't agree more. Again, like I just I, I still think that um I, I don't know. Again, it's it's almost another one of those instances where just the idea of Darius has become so intertwined with Lakeith as an actor that I'm almost worried that for the rest of his career, Lakeith's gonna have a little bit of a hard time breaking away from that, you know? Because obviously, again, like the brief moment that he has at the beginning of get out. See, it's a little bit of Darius, you know, the role that he plays in Sorry to Bother You. He's a little, he's like a little bit more slightly upkept, but you still see elements of Darius in there. You know, I feel like if anything, that's kind of almost what it preemptively ruined his performances in Knives Out and Uncut Gems. The fact that it's like, oh, he's just Darius, but in a different setting, you know, where, where you know, th that happens with actors a lot where they do that one role so, so well that you just can't see them as anything else, you know, where it's like it's almost impossible to separate the role of Lakeith from Darius ultimately. And you even go back in the end in some of his roles prior to uh prior to Atlanta, you know, and you even say, Oh man, I'm just starting to see a little bit of Darius in there too, you know? Wasn't he in Judas and the Black Messiah though? I never saw it, but Yes, he was. Yes, he was. So I'm actually glad that you brought that up. Yeah, I feel like that's the first role that he's had post Atlanta that like, you know, where he's actually like given like a compelling performance. But what's interesting about that performance as well is that he's essentially kind of grappling with this idea that he's essentially kind of the reason why uh, or, or kind of like is, is one of the many reasons that kind of led to kind of the destabilization of kind of the end of the civil rights movement. Because what's so interesting about that movie is you see that movie, that's at the end of the civil rights movement. You know, M, you know, Martin Luther King's been assassinated. Uh, Malcolm X has been assassinated. You know, things are starting to wind out. It's it's right before Reagan is elected. So you're just starting to see, you know, cracks started to get leaked into um, African-American communities and all that. And, you know, Fred Hampton is trying to lead kind of what's left of the Black Panther Party, and so, um, you know, and what's and uh, so Lakeith's kind of arc that he has to deal with in that movie is understanding that even though he is making situations better for himself, he is ultimately kind of leading to the destruction of any semblance of kind of you know footing that his people have, and like that's kind of what makes that intro that role and that performance in that movie so interesting and compelling, definitely, you know, and kind of again how he's almost able to like use that Dariusness of himself to like as, as a facade against it, you know, and I think that like. 
one of the best moments of the movie is when he's giving an interview at the end and he's talking about kind of how he thought that he he's trying to essentially justify his actions and you can tell that he knows that he's full of shit as well and i think that he ended up the, the, the real person i mean ended up killing himself shortly after that interview it's just it's really sad and tragic ultimately and i think that that's yeah lakeith is absolutely amazing and like and of course the oscars did what they always do which is what did they do they justified, oh, Lakeith and Kaluuya both have the exact same amount of screen time in the movie. They both split up the movie evenly. We're going to put them both in supporting because they, they, they because they put all their marketing behind Kaluuya because they knew he was going to win supporting. They knew he wasn't going to win lead because they were trying to get Chadwick, the, the best actor Oscar that year, um, you know, because he just recently died. But they're like, fuck, Lakeith is so good. We have to put him in there too. So they put them both in supporting. I better not go off on another tangent about the Oscars because we'll be here for three hours. But essentially, yeah, just more jury rigging that the Oscars typically do. But in order to kind of bring it back to Atlanta, so a couple more things that I wanted to talk about is kind of the COVID gap as well. Because like I said, like we were talking about before, Atlanta's one of many, many shows that was affected by the COVID gap. Again, like again, just because of Donald Lover's super busy schedule. Again, he made that uh, that Guava Island movie in between, I want to say, like seasons two and Three, I believe I try I think that came out like after season two then he was being commissioned for that Mr. and Mrs. Smith show on Amazon with Phoebe Waller-Bridge and then that ended up falling through I don't even know what the status of that uh whether that's even still happening or not um What's interesting, interesting, too, is I feel like a lot of people were expecting him to go on to make movies, and that just didn't end up happening and then obviously so the plan was initially they were going to shoot three and four back-to-back and have it released in 2021, and then obviously COVID pushed it back, and they ended up delaying it both to 2022 as well. So we're getting, so we got season three back in the spring, and so we're getting this back again. It's been a significant amount of time since season two, and obviously they've incorporated that into their structure as well. So I guess my question is like, I don't know, like, do you feel like there's like any noticeable changes? Do you think like the pandemic had any effects on the show? Because I'm not seeing any, at least not yet. But I don't know, like, if you just picked on some up on something that I didn't. Yeah, not really. I'm gonna be honest. This may not be related, but like in certain certain points, I felt like the writing was a little bit like a little bit more weirder than it has been. I don't right. know if that's anything with COVID, but it's like a little bit blander. Like they had they had a random line about Publix when they were walking into the Atlantic Station. They're like, he said he blocked off his schedule to take her to Atlantic Station, but also to go to Publix. Like I feel like that maybe wouldn't have been something that was in the first yeah. couple. Of seasons. Like it just felt a little bit odd, but. You also are the movie nerd. So what what other shows were delayed because of COVID? Do you know? Oh, a bunch. So like obviously again, Barry season three, Better Call Saul's final season, uh, Ozark's final season got del- got pushed back a year. You know, obviously Succession was the big one where it's like everyone was so excited for that, and then they obviously had to delay that. But they got back to shooting right at the beginning. Um, a couple other ones that I'm drawing up like uh, the boys, obviously because the boys they finished production on that on season two right before COVID started, and then they had the lockdowns. They put out season two in fall of 2020 but then obviously we didn't get any more of the boys in 2021 so the point being is that we've gotten all of these shows back almost every single one of those shows have come back now starting with succession back in the fall and i believe that atlanta is the last one you know obviously there's still a few more small like his dark materials you know once we get season three of the mandalorian but for the most part like things are pretty much back to a regularly scheduled pattern and what's going to be interesting is seeing kind of going forward how many more of the shows that we follow again a lot of the shows are coming to an end better call Saul ended this is atlanta's final season ozark ended back in the spring there's a couple more shows that are going to end again succession and barrier probably only get get like one or two more seasons each stranger things next season is going to be the last stranger things that was the other big one where we hadn't we hadn't gotten a season of stranger things since 2019 you know yeah. and also just because of how big and massive this most recent season was in addition to the COVID delays and everything you know so but I guess my, what I'm saying is that we should be getting back to like a regular kind of TV schedule but I'm just not sure if like as far as I kind of you know because one of the biggest things that we talked about with a lot of shows during that came out during the pandemic is noticing like okay we can see a little bit of the 
COVID shooting in here, you know, as part of the show. Like, I feel like one of the most obvious and egregious examples of this was the most recent season of the Umbrella Academy that dropped on Netflix, where that could not have been more obvious that that was a COVID shoot, where, they, again, they're all in one location. They're kind of just writing shit on a whim, making up character shit that kind of comes out of nowhere. It makes no sense for the previously established track pattern. Now, right, that's always kind of been a part of the Umbrella Academy and Netflix's standpoint, but just some things that I noticed just in general. And... As far as kind of this season goes versus, obviously, again, they shot season three almost entirely in Europe, but they're back in Atlanta for this season. And so I'm just kind of wondering if we're going to see, you know, kind of any more COVID things going forward. And so, but kind of my last point that I want to bring up before we wrap up and get out of here is, so now that we're obviously, we're on the last season again, we got the first two episodes, we have eight more. So now that we're almost at the end of their tenure, right, I, I kind of think it's going to be interesting in order to, like, kind of see what Donald Lover does next with his career, obviously, because, again, it's been so weird. His career has been the subject of such fascination over the last couple of years, and yet it feels like he's almost been, like, kind of purposefully going away from, like, what people wanted. You know, again, he's openly joked about people wanting him as Miles Morales, you know. He's he's obviously been on the last couple of community uh, live streams that they did during the pandemic, and now the rumor is that they are actually finally doing the long-awaited community movie that supposedly he will be a part of, you know. So it's almost like Glover... The thing that I always admire about him as a personality is that he only ever does what he wants to do, which is a very, very tough thing to do in this day and age, just in general. And that's something that he's very clearly always been focused on and always wanting. But I feel like, and this is another one of those things where I can't tell if it's just a public perception and the media portrayal of him or if these are just some actual thoughts. But I feel like it's kind of just been like going out of his way to like kind of paint out like some kind of more like obvious statements where it's like purposefully trolling people, you know, which again, I'm always kind of 50-50 when it comes to like just people in Hollywood just trolling, you know, regular people, especially when it's they're trolling their own fans of the shit that they like, you know, and the people that are supportive of them, you know. Like I still think that like one of the most confusing things I read was when he tweeted out a thing about like somebody asked him if he want about working with Zendaya and I don't know if he was misquoted or not but he said something along the lines of yeah I like Zendaya's work but she should come over and work with the chronic and like I wasn't sure because I'm like wait are, are you meant to like be comparing yourself to Dr. Dre and all that and then he said that thing also when he was promoting season three back in the spring where he's like oh yeah my show is literally the greatest show ever made the only show that's better than my show is the Sopranos that's the only thing and I'm like okay like we can tell you're feeling yourself just a little bit here you know and my whole thing is again I I, I, I try not to comment as much on like kind of celebrity status in their own regard towards their own art and kind of you know at the end of the day I always want the work to shine out more than the artist's own individual whatever thoughts methods and everything because that the point being is that that should be reflected in the work and all that so like, I don't know like do you think that like Glover's to a point now where it's like you know like kind of you know for lack of a better word like the pressures of it are starting to get to him or no you think it's just like kind of media portrayal and bias I think it's media portrayal and bias I'm be honest this is might come off as weird, but I feel like in the black community, they don't really look at like the fan reception or the media reception. They look right. at like the reception for their peers, you know, like how do their right. peers feel about them? And this kind of is funny because I saw a clip of like a recent Pharrell interview where he was talking about Donald Glover and he was like, he was just like glowing on him, like glowing, gushing. Like he right. said, he's like one of the most amazing creatives he's ever met. Like his music is fantastic, his show's creative. Like, I think that's what Donald Glover really works for, like the respect from his peers. And clearly he has it. So I think that's what really he strives for. He strives for, like, to make things that he knows that his peers will respect more so than like, really what his fans, because fans will eat anything. Anything yeah. Donald Glover's going to put out, it's going to be big. You know, he for put sure. out an album that wasn't even by Childish Gambino, but it was him. Like, I don't think his name was on it. And it did numbers, you know? Like, anything he does, it's going to work. So he's just going to do whatever he wants. And right. he's going to make whatever he wants because he knows that his peers, that's what he's looking for. You know, like, 
just the respect from Pharrell, like Pharrell, he's got to look up to Pharrell to some extent. So right. it's got to mean a lot to him, you know? Right. Because remind me again, like how, like, because when did Pharrell break out? Like, did they break out like right around the same time or was Pharrell a couple years earlier? Pharrell's been around since like the 90s, like the early 2000s, 90s. Oh, wow. Okay. Never mind that. <laughs> Never mind that. Yeah. I, I, again, like, I have no idea how long Pharrell has been really been around for. Yeah. No, that, that's what I figured. Like I said. And again, it's just the fact of, again, he, the fact that he has achieved so much success in like such a short period of time. Like, all of this only came about like in the last like 10 years, like, really since like, again, because like, he really started to blow up like once he left community in 2014. So that, that's kind of like more recently. So, last thing I want to bring up before we wrap up and get out of here so now that donald glover is pretty much about to be done with the show what do you think is next for him you know what do you think it is that he's going to want to do next you know kind of ultimately what was it that he do you think that he will accomplish what it is that he wanted to say with this show well i don't think he's going into movies personally i don't i don't really see him as like a yeah. movie kind of he's he's said multiple times that he's done making music ash childish gambino so maybe he would make it as like donald glover but I don't think he's ever going to stop making music either. Like, he did the Guava Island thing, and I think he had a soundtrack attached to that as well, where, like, him and Rihanna did some kind of music with it. And I never saw Guava Island. I don't really think it did that well. But I could see more, more of, like, niche stuff like that. Like, no, nothing that's going to have the same, like, relevance as Atlanta. Honestly, I don't think he's ever going to reach his height again. But I could see more music, more, like, behind-the-scenes stuff. Maybe, maybe having, like, his own production company to some extent. I don't know if he already does. But I could see a lot of that stuff. I don't think he's ever going to, like strive to be as as mainstream as his height has reached already you know yeah i agree with that especially considering that like again it just it, I, I feel like again he is somebody who has always had his kind of thumb on the pop culture uh, uh you know on the pop culture you know stratosphere in general way better than a lot of other creatives do and he again just kind of sees it, it's like again if i if i'm trying to go with the mainstream it's you know it's going to just swallow me up and, and and you know chew me up and and spit me out and just reject yeah. me as far as like a bunch of other people, you know, and I think he definitely, as far as the movies points go, you're right, because he definitely kind of does sense it again, just as far as like where the culture is at, movies are just not where yeah. they used to be. You know, obviously, again, I love movies, you love movies, but like, again, just people by at large just do not have the same kind of love and appreciation for movies as they previously did. So I think the point about having a production company, I think is probably like the smartest thing I could definitely see him, you know, you could definitely see like, you know, from like whatever his, uh, his production house studio would be, you know, that maybe him and his brother and the rest of the other people, because the only other thing really Really, I feel like because this was another project that I forgot about that was about to get off the ground a couple years ago was that again right when season two of Atlanta was um, about to come out there was the announcement that him and his brother were working on an animated Deadpool series and that and that and I believe that Donald Lover was going to be working on that and that ended up falling through completely I'm assuming just because they didn't want any sort of conflict or confusion with uh, with with the, with the with the movies that were coming out at the time so yeah that that definitely makes the most sense for sure and uh, what's that. He released a script for that, didn't he? Like he just I think like he did. I think he yeah. did. Yeah, yeah. That just shows he doesn't really care. Like he doesn't no. really care about this kind of stuff. I don't think. Right, which is awesome. Like I love that. Like like that's one of the things that I get. Just I, I respect the most is it's like yeah, it's like he is solely about the work. And when it's not, he's again just lets it loose, and he understands that like he he knows the people who he want. He knows who the people are that he's trying to impress, if anyone. And the rest, it's like he just doesn't care, and he's just making what he wants, which is awesome. Again, at the end of the day, that's all that you can thrive for in Hollywood and working in in these conditions. You know, we can like it, we can not like it, whatever. But at the end of the day, he's gonna do what he wants to do, and I think that's a good point to end it. So before we wrap up and get out of here, what would you rate these first two episodes of this most recent season of Atlanta out of five? Out of five. I'd say like a four. Yeah. I, yeah. I like it better. Than, I'd like it better than most of the other episodes from season three already. So yeah, I agree with that. 
through line is already better. Exactly. Exactly. Well, in the sense that there actually is a through line versus, I, again, I feel like a lot of the biggest criticism that came from season three is the fact of, again, just without every other episode was a standalone episode, there's, there really didn't seem to be any sort of a consistent through line, which for me is kind of what ruined a little bit of season three. But again, it's got the consistent through line back. It's got kind of all the good Atlanta elements that we kind of like back. And yeah, so I'm, I'm going to give this these two episodes a four out of five as well. Josh, it was great having you back on. It was an absolute blast. I hope I can get you on for more episodes in the future. Where can the good people follow you on the interweb? Uh, on Twitter at BaconPizza7. Anywhere else, you're just going to have to find me. Sorry, guys. <laughs> at Jay Markland. I love it. I love whatever you, you uh, promote yourself. And of course, follow me at Movie Nerd Reviews across all platforms at Talking TV, official Talking TV podcast across all platforms as well. Subscribe if you're watching us on YouTube. Follow us on Twitch if necessary. And as always, people, 12 seasons in a short film and watch more fucking movies. We'll see you guys next week for Don't Worry, Darling. Don't worry, darling.